Well, I am excited to bring the word this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm well aware that a lot of you probably don't uh, because I am a bit of a ghost in the AM services. We take the youth kids and um, we have our Sunday morning connects every AM. But um, I am the youth pastor alongside my wife here, Maddie. Um, we've been married for almost oh, three years. We've celebrated just two years of marriage, which was incredible. And if you're in the building today, the good news is you can get our marriage book on the way out in the foyer. I'm joking. It was a joke. Um, we, we know we're, we're far from perfect. We're, we're just loving marriage and we're loving what we get to do to disciple and lead this next generation. Uh, I want to encourage you that God hasn't given up on this next generation, uh, that He's doing amazing things week in, week out in the youth of this nation and the youth of this church. And uh, you probably don't hear a lot about what happens at youth on a week to week basis. So I thought I'd just share a couple of things as to what we've been seeing in youth recently to lift your faith. Um, I love what it says in the Bible in, in, in Psalm 119 verse 90. It says that God's faithfulness endures through all generations. And I believe that His faithfulness is still good today in 2022 and it endures to this next generation as well. Um, last year, through our youth services and programs, we saw 233 decisions and recommitments to Jesus, which is incredible. And uh, we honestly can't take any credit for this. Uh, God is the cornerstone and the very centre uh, of everything that happens at youth week in, week out. Also, uh, we saw just under 400 new people come to youth services and programs. So we are just being so blessed. Uh, if you do have high school kids, uh, high school age kids, we encourage you, bring them along on a Friday night, 6.30 to 8.30. Not only is it a good date night for you, but their lives will be transformed in the process. And it is the best place to be on a Friday night if you are in high school. Um, I, I love this theme we're going through at the moment. Um, before we get into the Word today though, I just want to say that I support the Sydney Roosters and that we beat the Brisbane Broncos this week. I was really counting on it for this moment. 24-20, any other Rooster supporters? No one, okay. <laughs> Great. But uh, apart from uh, ministry and marriage, uh, I love sport and I'm invested into sport. If you support Rugby Union, I'll pray for you after as well. No, I'm joking. Um, I support the Wallabies and the Reds, the two best teams in the rugby union in my opinion, but also hopefully in everyone else's opinion as well. Um, I, I love this theme that we're going through at the moment as it is in heaven. And it is such a significant theme. I remember the first time that this just became such a real statement for me in my faith. I remember the first time that, you know, I, I, I realised that I don't just serve a God that is distant, but I serve a God that wants relationship with me, that is with me, that is for me. And I remember it was such a significant moment in my life when I realised these things and it really changed the landscape of how I viewed God and my relationship with God. I'm grateful that we don't just serve a God that is distant, that just sees us in our pain and our hurt and says, you know what, I don't wanna do anything about it. But we serve a God that wants to serve us and a God that wants to save us out of those things in our life. And, and what I love ab about this statement is that, you know, uh, it, like the, the pain and the stuff that we experience in our life, we got a God that loves us so much, that has so much grace for every one of us in this room. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I encountered God for the very first time. His realness and His closeness was just, you know, so evident to me. And it was at a 2014 youth camp. I went to youth camp. I honestly wasn't expecting much, but God just rocked up. I encountered God. And I remember that from that moment, my life was never the same again. 
I don't know about you. I don't know whether you're watching online or you're in the building today and your life has been transformed by a living God that loves you. But it is great when you seek transformation and you find transformation in the destination of Jesus Christ. And today I wanted to talk about or around the topic, an encounter that never expires. Because I believe that these encounters that we have with God, these divine moments that we have with God were never just designed to last a week or a month or a year, but they were designed to transform the rest of our lives. I believe that encounters with God aren't just the end of something, but they're the beginning of something so great in our life. They set our life up for amazing transformation in Jesus Christ. And uh, today I wanted to talk around this topic. When, When I think of the word expire or expiry, the first thing that comes to my mind is the items in the pantry and fridge with the expiry date. Now, what I've come to know when it comes around these items is that, you know, there's two types of people that when it comes to an expiry date, there's people over here and you're the type of person that if it is even near the expiry date, if it's over the expiry date, you're not giving that food item a chance. You're just gonna throw it straight in the bin. Yeah, I know. That's my wife, Maddie. You know, even if it's within two days of its expiry date, it's straight in the bin. But then you have the people over here and I have to admit, I'm one of these people that when it's reached its expiry date, you say, you know what? That isn't set in stone, that is a suggestion. And I'm gonna smell it, I'm gonna taste it, I'm gonna do whatever I can to not throw this out, but get the most of this item. Like the question on everyone's mind is, where is the line when it comes to the expiry date? And you, you know what gets confusing? The best before date. Like, why do they have to do that to us? The best before, like, I, I don't, like even just the other week, um, I had something that was a year past its best before date. And I, I think, you know, it wasn't at its best, but it was still okay. And can I tell you, I know, I, I know. After living on this side for 21 years, I've never got food poisoning in my life. Come on, amen. Yes, all the people on this side were cheering. Everyone else is like, no, <laughs> that is disgusting. But that, that's where my mind goes when it comes to expiry dates. But I think so many times when it comes to our encounters with God and these divine moments with God is that we put our own expiry dates on them. And God encounters us and then after a week, we say, you know what, that encounter has expired and that doesn't hold too much worth in my life. But can I tell you that, you know, our encounters were never supposed to have an expiry date. Our encounters with God were meant to set us up for a life of transformation and change for the rest of our life. For the rest of our life. And I believe that God's calling us to a place where these divine moments and these encounters aren't just something that lasts for a little bit, but for our entire life. It transforms our life. Today, we're gonna look at the life of Paul in Acts chapter nine. And this is such a significant passage. I I love what we're just about to read, verse one to 20. And you know, if there's one thing I knew about Paul is that he had this God encounter in Acts chapter nine, which we're just about to read. But after that, he didn't turn back. After that, you know, he, he was so passionate about the things of God. After that, you know, he was someone that had so much influence in his world. So how are we gonna be people that we have encounters that also don't expire just like Paul? Now, before we read this, is that we're gonna read about, uh, uh, about this guy named Saul 
realise it's the same person, God changes His name further down the track. And I'm gonna use those interchangeably throughout this morning. But let's read it together. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 20. And it says this. Now, we're also gonna, it's gonna be like roadworks. We're gonna stop and start throughout. Um, which is gonna be awesome. Some people just leaned out, but I promise you it's good roadworks, lean in. We don't like roadworks on the road. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any who belonged to the way, being Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I I wanna stop it there. This is such a significant story that we find Saul is on a road to Damascus here to persecute Christians. Yet in verse three, we see Jesus interrupts his life. In other words, we see Saul on a road to destruction. And when he was on his road to destruction, Jesus interrupted his life. I don't know about you, but every time I read this passage in Acts chapter nine, I'm so grateful that even though it wasn't Damascus, when I was on my road to destruction, Jesus was an interruption in my life. I'm so grateful for that. And I believe that there's power in every one of our testimonies. I believe there's power in every one of our stories, no matter how you came to Christ, no matter how you know Jesus interrupted your life, there is power in your testimony. I love in the book of Revelation, it says we overcome the enemy by what? The blood of the lamb. In other words, what Jesus has done for us and the word of our testimony. There is power in your testimony. Can I tell you that your testimony is a weapon for the kingdom of God? Can I tell you that your testimony is powerful? Don't let anyone tell you that your story isn't significant. But I'm so grateful that I serve a God that is so loving, so gracious that even when I was on my road to destruction, He interrupted my life. We read on, it says this, verse four. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. What what I find really interesting in this passage is this verse in verse six where he sends Saul to the same place. It says this, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Like last time I read this passage, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Saul was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. Yet when Jesus comes and interrupts his life, he sends him to the same place. Why would that be? Because often I find in our life that when our life is transformed by Jesus, he just sends us back to the same place with a different mission. Let me put it to you this way. He sends us to the same workplace, but now we've got a different mission. He sends us to the same university, but now we've got a different mission. He sends us into the same friendships, but now we have a different mission. Often Jesus, after transforming our life, will send us to the same places with a different mission. And this is what He did in Saul's life. He sent him back to Damascus, but all of a sudden his perspective changed. You know, I know there's power when we, live out of a place of heavenly mission. When, you know, we go into our week come Monday, come Tuesday, come Wednesday, and we realise that we're on mission for God, that we're there to influence our world and unmistakably influence our world 
for good and for God. I love, you know, being a part of this church because we're such a missional church. We love outworking the mission and, and, and the, you know, what God has placed on the inside of us and telling people about the good news. I, I love this Greek word and this word is kairos. And it means this, right time, right place. And every single morning I pray a kairos prayer, a prayer that says, you know what, God, would you send me to the right time in the right place? God, would you just have so many divine moments in my day today because I know that you're orchestrating something great. And I just wanna challenge us and encourage us as a church, would you pray a Kairos prayer? Where every single morning, would you pray, God, would you send me to the right conversations? Would you send me to the right people? Would you put me in the right environment so I can influence people for your kingdom? And I believe that when we understand we're in the right time and the right place, it is so powerful in our lives. We start to live our lives from a missional perspective. You know, what would your life look like if you started praying these prayers? What would your life look like? All of a sudden, when you go to work on Monday, you're not just there for the paycheck, you're there on mission for Jesus. All of a sudden, you know, when you're at your university, you're not just there for the degree or the piece of paper, but you're there on mission for Jesus. What would it look like if as a church, we knew we were on mission come Monday? We knew we were on mission. It changes our perspective. You know, we read on in verse seven, it says this, the men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. I would say fair enough. They heard a sound but did not see anyone Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. They were very innovative back in the day. They just saw a street that was straight and they like, let's just call it Straight Street. And then there became too many streets, so they had to come up with interesting names. And asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, uh, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this man by the name of Ananias. And often we can kind of just brush over Ananias and the critical role he plays in this story. Ananias' role in this story is so significant. And can I tell you that Ananias had such awesome faith and obedience to God. He had inspiring faith and obedience to God. Literally, he told Ananias, hey, would you go pray for this man that is persecuting Christians. Like that's a pretty scary thing to do. I don't know about you, but if God asked me to go do that, I would, you know, find that pretty scary or pretty daunting to do. But his response in that moment was, yes, Lord. (laughs) 
Yes, Lord. And, and what I find about Ananias is he has obedience and faith with no strings attached. He has obedience and faith with no terms and conditions on it. Can I tell you, I'm guilty of this too, but how many times in today's day can we put terms and conditions on our obedience to God? God, you know what? If it leads to promise, I'll do it. If it leads to blessing, I'll do it. But if it leads to, to you know, bad things and bad outcomes, I'm not gonna do that. Why would I do that? But Ananias had the type of faith to say, you know what, whatever the outcome, whatever the cost, God, if you're asking me to be obedient to you, I'm just gonna be obedient to you and I'm gonna lean in in faith. What would it look like if we had an Ananias type obedience, every single one of us? If our position was yes, Lord, what would your workplace look like? If your position of God was yes, Lord, what would your business look like? What would your family look like? What would your friendship circles look like if we had a position of yes, Lord? And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Man, I'm guilty of putting T's and C's on my obedience to God, but I pray that we would be a people that say, yes, Lord, whatever you're asking, whatever the outcome, whatever it costs. We read on in verse 18. It says, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Strength. This is why as Christians, we love food. The first thing that Paul did after he was baptised by the Holy Spirit and was baptised was he got some food. Come on, that's good news. So what has happened in this story we see Saul is on the road to Damascus. He's on the road to destruction. Yet Jesus was so good and so gracious and so loving that He interrupted His life. Then He sends Him to the same place with a different mission. Often Jesus will send us as well when we are transformed to the same places with a different perspective and a different mission. Then we see this guy named Ananias come and be so obedient and faithful to God. And he prays for him and, and he's baptised by the Holy Spirit and he is baptised. But how did Paul become this person where this encounter in Acts 9 set up his entire life? How is he someone that, you know, from this story, we find him go to write a lot of the New Testament and he was such an influential Christian leader in the time. How did he do that? How did he have an encounter that didn't expire? I think the key is found in the next couple of bits of text. And if we're not careful, we can read over this as almost insignificant details, but I believe that these details are significant and that they can encourage us today. Three things that we can do, three mindsets that we can have that can help us turn these divine moments into life-altering moments. It says this, verse 19, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. It's probably not what you were expecting if this is where the key is. Why, why would it give us this detail in Acts 9 verse 19. I believe one thing that we need to do if we don't want our encounters to expire is we gotta get connected in community. We gotta get connected in community. Here we find Paul, the first thing that he does after gaining some food was he says, you know what? I'm gonna get myself around good people, around people that are gonna pull me up, around people that are gonna encourage me, around people that are gonna pray for me. We gotta get connected in good community. Can I just be real practical for a second? Are you in a life group? Who's in your corner? Who are those people that are gonna pray for you 
when you're going through tough times? Who are those people that are gonna encourage you throughout the week? Who are those people that are gonna, you know, encourage you to press into the things of God? And can I tell you that if you aren't in a life group yet, would today be the day where you don't just walk out those doors and don't go to the lounge, but you go to the lounge and say, you know what, I want good community. Because the good news is, you haven't found yourself in a crowd here this morning, you found yourself in a community of believers that wanna do life with each other and pray for each other and have faith for each other. Here's what I know, that the Christian journey is an individual journey, but it's not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in community with people, with believers. Who are those people that are gonna stand in your corner? I love that story in, in Daniel chapter three. We would all probably know it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And you know, if you've been in church or if you come every Sunday, you'll probably hear this three times throughout the year. It's a significant story in the Word of God. But often there's something in this story that we don't give credit. If you don't know the story, pretty much in Daniel chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, everyone bow down to this golden statue. And then, you know, everyone bows down except for these three guys that say, we're not gonna bow down to your idols. We're not gonna bow down to these statues. We know who the real God is. And because of it, they get thrown into a fiery furnace and God saves them from that moment when they're in the fiery furnace. But what we don't give credit in this story sometimes is sometimes we look at it through the lens of three individuals standing in that text when really it was three people standing together. And my question to us this morning is if you're Shadrach, who's your Meshach and Abednego? Those people that say, you know what, when all else, everyone else is bowing, when everyone else is you know, tearing me down, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna stand with you, I'm gonna be someone that prays for you in the hard times. We all need people in our corner. I need people in my corner, you need people in your corner. The good news is this is a community and you can get connected in this wonderful community we have here at City Point. I love verse 20, it says this, we read on. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So the first thing that he did was he got connected in community. You know, the Bible even says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's important we get connected in that community because often the people we hang around will determine the direction in which we will go. But the second thing he understands here in verse 20 is that he wasn't just there to consume the presence of God. He was there to carry it everywhere he went. He wasn't just there to consume the things that God was doing in his life, but he, he said, you know what? I'm gonna carry and not just consume. And God has called every single one of us to carry and not just consume. I remember um, just early on in, in my Christianity when I first came to Christ, you know, I got my life right with Him and, you know, I, I surrendered a lot to Him and I, I had this moment, it was such a divine moment and I was like, God, what else? Like, haven't I done it all? And God just convicted me. And He told me this one statement that stuck with me forever. He said, Liam, it's not all about you. And He just said it real plainly like that. I was like, thanks. You know those moments where God just says it how it is? It was, it was one of those moments. And He took me to the greatest commandments. You know, the story goes that, that someone came up to Jesus and was like, which are the greatest commandments of the law? He said, the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. And God took me there and He said, Liam, in fact, you're just in the middle. Because the first thing you've got to do is have an intimate relationship with me, praise me, know who I am. And it starts with me, but it ends with people. It's not all about you. And I remember this just being a defining moment of my spirituality where I realised, hey, it's not just about my salvation. 
There's people in the world that are hurting. There's people in the world that need Jesus. And what I love about that statement in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, is He doesn't say on church as it is in heaven. He says on earth as it is in heaven. Which means we're not just here to consume on a Sunday. We've got to carry what we have into the world. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? That probably gone are the days where people just come and see and here are the days where we go and carry, where we go and show, where we go and serve. If there's something I, I even know about the next generation is that they're probably not gonna come and see, but if we can go and serve and we can go and show and we can go and be generous and do these things, then maybe it might open their heart up a little bit. You know, I remember this other story and it was this man, he had a vision of, of Moses and he was asking Moses, he's like, Moses, you know, like, how was it? How was part in the Red Sea? How was like, you know, the burning bush moment? How was leading the Israelites out of captivity? How was all these amazing things? And Moses didn't even answer his question. He just said, no, how is it for you? And he's like, what, what do you mean? I, I haven't done great things like, like you have done. Why, why are you asking how's it for me? He's like, no, no, you don't understand. How is having the Spirit of God on the inside of you? A story that once again has stuck with me for a very long time, often, we can just go through life and not acknowledge the Spirit that we carry. Know that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is living on the inside of me, is living on the inside of you, every one of us in this place. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. Know that the Holy Spirit isn't just limited to a building. No, we carry it. We can carry it into our world. We can carry it into our workplace. We can carry it into our university. Even if you're watching online, know the Holy Spirit isn't just in this place, it's in this place. So you can watch online and be encountered by God. We need to have a mentality and a mindset like Paul where he says, you know what, I'm not just here to consume, I'm here to carry everywhere I go. I love, you know, his first reaction in verse four when Jesus comes was he fell on his knees. He surrendered his life. And what I love about Paul is he didn't just sur surrender his life for a moment. He surrendered his life, you know, past this point in Acts chapter nine for, you know, the rest of his days. He did some amazing, you know, ministry and, and uh, he did some amazing uh, even just missionary journeys. He, he did four missionary journeys that spanned across about nine years. You know, travelled over 10,000 miles, was a Christian, depending on which timeline you're looking at, at around 30 years beyond this point in Acts chapter 9. What I loved about him is he had this mentality that he would surrender no matter what. He would surrender no matter his surroundings. And you might be here today and you're like, well, Paul had it easy. Can I just break down that thinking for a second? Acts 9, 23, 24, it says this, that he escaped the city to avoid arrest. Acts 9, 26 to 30, we know that people were trying to seek to kill him. Acts 11, 27, he goes through a famine. Acts 27 to, uh, 24 to 27, it says this, that he goes to prison. In fact, he didn't just go to prison once, he, he went to prison three times. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was martyred. Paul didn't have an easy life, but how was he someone that surrendered in all moments? Because he realised, hey, you know what? I'm not just gonna surrender based on what surrounds me. 
And I'm not just gonna surrender determined by what is surrounding me in that moment. No, I'm gonna let my surrender determine my surroundings. It was in verse, it was the other way around. Even in Acts chapter 16, seven chapters later, we read this, he's in prison. And Paul and Silas at about midnight were praising and singing hymns to God. And and, and they had this position of praise, this position of surrender in the promise in prison when they were persecuted. And one mindset he had that didn't allow his encounter to expire was he was someone that surrendered in all situations, no matter what he was surrounded by. Would we be a church that surrenders in the good times, in the bad times, in the mundane times? Would we surrender all the time? Can I tell you this, that surrender isn't easy. I've never met one person that said surrendering was the easiest thing I've ever done. I've never met, even for me, there were some things that were hard. It was a wrestle, but it's so worth it. Surrendering your heart and your life to God. You know, a couple of questions I wanna ask us this morning is this. Is it, can you pray when all else is silent? Can you praise Him when no one else is jumping with you? Can you preach without a microphone. Can I tell you, you don't need a microphone and a stage to preach. You can preach with your life. You can preach in your conversations. You can tell someone your testimony on a Monday. It's all for the goodness of God. You're proclaiming the good news. Can I also tell you, we don't celebrate bad news. Easter's next week. We're not celebrating bad news. And I get excited when it's my friend's birthday. I get excited when, you know, someone graduates university. I get excited when my family member has a win. But can I tell you, no discredit to them. I got even better news to celebrate when it comes around the cross and the resurrection. And I love that we're a Pentecostal church that expresses our faith because I can't keep quiet about that good news. I can't keep quiet about the transformation that I've seen in my life through Jesus Christ. It's good news. Can you read the Bible when it's not on the screen behind me on a Sunday? Would you surrender no matter what you're surrounded by? I would love it in the morning if I woke up My coffee was already pre-made. It was just there. Come on, yes. (laughs) And we had Elliot on the keys in the corner of my bedroom playing this amazing pad. Like, I don't think you'd have a bad day, ever. That would be awesome. But the reality is, is that come Monday, that doesn't happen. (laughs) I'm gonna set my alarm early. I'm gonna wake up. I gotta chase after the things of God. I gotta read the Bible when it's not on the screen. Would you surrender no matter what you're surrounded by? Because I don't just wanna be a people that surrender when the lights are good and the smoke machine's going off and the lights are amazing and the environment's awesome. We got 100 believers around us. No, I wanna surrender in all moments. When I'm by myself, if I'm with five people, if I'm with 50 people, if this place is packed, I wanna live a life of surrender no matter what I'm surrounded by. So how did Paul have an encounter that never expired? He was someone that connected himself in the right community. Would today be the day if you feel disconnected in church, you connect with someone at the lounge and get connected in a life group? You know, he, he also realised that he's not just here to consume, but he's here to carry. That we, we every day, we gotta wake up and be aware of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. It's so easy just to get caught in the motions of life and not renew our mind and the things of God. But would you start to renew your mind? If you do that already, would you continue to do that? It's such a great thing. And also we need to surrender no matter what we're surrounded by. 
I think it's powerful when we say, you know what, in the good moments, in the bad moments, in the mundane moments, we're just gonna live a life of surrender and obedience to God. You know, I'm always encouraged when I read Acts chapter nine, because it, it, it encourages me that if he, God can do it for Saul, He can do it for me and you. We have this story of this guy that persecuted and killed Christians. This guy that was on a road to destruction, yet God was so good. God was so gracious. God was so loving that He interrupted his life. And if He can do it for Saul, He can do it for you. He can do it for me. That's good news. Can I just tell you that Jesus died on the cross for you? He did. All your shame, all your guilt, all your sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. But can I tell you that there's even better news, the resurrection three days later. He didn't just die on a cross for your sin, shame and guilt. No, He rose again, which means that you can live a life of purpose. You can live a life of joy. You can live a life of peace because He rose again. You can step into the newness of life in Christ. And maybe you're in this place or maybe you're online and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, can I tell you, it's the greatest decision that you could ever make in your entire life. It will change your entire life, just like Paul's life, changed his life forever. It changed my life forever. Many people in this place, it's changed your life forever. And if you're in this place and you've never accepted that truth, I'd love to give you an opportunity to say, you know what, I wanna accept that truth in my life. So with every head bowed and eyes closed in this place, maybe that's you and you need to accept what Jesus has done on the cross and in the resurrection. Or maybe even for you, you once came you know, in alignment with that truth and you used to believe in what Jesus could do for your life and you used to believe in the cross and the resurrection, but things got in the way. You stopped believing that truth and today you wanna come back to that truth and accept what Jesus has done for you. On the count of three, I'd love you to lift your hand. Now, I'm not gonna shame you. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna pull you out the front, but I wanna pray with you. Because as I said, that's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. So on the count of three, if that's you, I'd love you to just raise your hand. No one's looking around you. On the count of three. I already see that hand. That's amazing. It's great. One, He loves you. Two, there's nothing that you could do that could separate you from His love. And three, is that anyone else in this place that says, you know what, I wanna accept Jesus. I acknowledge that, that's amazing. Is anyone else, I acknowledge that, that's amazing. I, I see that hand as well over there on the right-hand side. I see that hand as well over in the middle, that's amazing. Is there anyone else today? As I look one more time from the left to the right, from the front to the back. Amazing. Well, God, we thank You for these people today that have made that decision, that have lifted their hand. I I thank You that You don't just see a hand raised, but a life change, God. And we thank You that for every single person that made that faith step to put up their hand and accept Your truth, God, that their old life, their old sin, their shame, their guilt would be paid for and they could step into the new life of purpose, of peace, of joy with You, Jesus, and we praise You in Jesus' Name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Well, hey, can we celebrate those people that made a decision?